With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. In a secret lab somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, the perfect human specimen has been born. He has the strength of 10 men and the wisdom of 20. Rick Munn. Now you listen here. He's a brilliant naughty boy. TNT Radio. Now go away. Oh my goodness. You know, they say about the things happening in threes, you know, yogurt on the shoes last night, water in the phone this morning when we had our first guest come on there uh, from Thailand, uh, David Craig in the last hour, we couldn't get any sound. He didn't have the sound connected. I don't think that was a problem. I just started having a terrible outbreak of wind uh, just before we went live on there. And trust me, you don't want to have me uh, breaking not breaking wind from down there from up here either side you don't want that i'm sure you don't want that at breakfast time coming into lunch time uh, on a tuesday morning here in the uk but hey it is what it is this is warts and all radio i'm rickman this is tnt of course and this is the locked and loaded show <sighs> my my goodness me so much happening in the world right now uh in this hour you know the action never stops Gemma cooper is going to be talking to me and also luke Andreski is going to be talking to me about a hundred day review of the Eastern uh, or sorry, not the Middle Eastern conflict between uh, Israel and Palestine. And then in the, the last part of the show here today, Dr. Philip Altman will be joining me from Sydney in Australia to give us a review of the Australian COVID inquiry, reviewing on whether or not uh, any recommendations have been made to the COVID jabs being administered to children and a lot of other research that he is currently carrying out. So uh, a lot going on. Like I said, you know, uh, my old chum Darren Denslow put a post up on the social media a few days ago about forgotten, forgotten. And when I think of the volume of the stories that we cover here on TNT, and I'm just even thinking about myself on the little uh, segment that I have, let alone all the other presenters, all the other news editors, all the people leaving links in our live chat. You think of the volume of stuff that has been covered here over the last year or two. It's astronomical. But so many massive things have happened and they're completely forgotten about already. Uh, Darren, for example, highlighted about Lahaina in Hawaii. You remember the terrible fires that happened there last year? The, the whole island was devastated by fire. Aid couldn't get through. Uh, children, thousands, you know, people going missing. What, what happened? Who's talking about that now? You think about East Palestine, you know, the disaster that happened in uh, Ohio last year in East Palestine when the, the train derailed and there was a massive chemical spill and all the people were evacuated from East Palestine. It's never mentioned again. Think about what we covered here uh, with Gemma even a week or two ago about that massive earthquakes in Japan. There's been volcanoes happening ever since it. The war in Gaza you know, is now being overshadowed to a degree by what's happening and brewing up in Yemen with international airstrikes and the Red Sea. It is crazy. And, you know, it just all passes by. And Darren has a motto. He said, you know, today's news is tomorrow's chip paper. And what he means by that is in the UK, if you used to go out and get fast food in a so-called chippy or a chip shop, you know, fried potatoes, they would wrap it up in today's newspaper. And, you know, it all of a sudden, today's news becomes tomorrow's chip paper. And, you know, it's important to remember that these things that are happening in the world, you know, so many people are being affected by it. Uh, and we can't just forget about what's been happening because it's all relevant and very, very important. 
important. So I'm going to take a brief pause. I'll bring Gem in. She's got a story for us, but there's another thing that was highlighted here I want to discuss with her, a great summary of some uh, financial disasters that have been happening to people in the UK. So we'll do that when we come back after this short break on TNT. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You ever get that, Gemma? You know, the amount of stuff that you've been covering, you know, you're doing, you know, five odd, six shows a day. You know, you've got a news article for each one. You've been doing it for months and months and months now. That must amount to an awful lot of stories that you've covered. Do you ever get flashbacks where you see a name mentioned? Well, ah, I remember I covered that story. I wonder what happened after that. The the rate of news at the minute is uh, quite breathtaking. Yeah, it's always like that. I mean, I've been in news my whole career. I was a newspaper journalist and then I was a broadcaster at the BBC. I was a journalist there and I'm a journalist at TNT. That's the nature of it. And I I do think having done a lot more digging into what is news and the way that news is presented, I actually gave a talk at the Glastonbury Symposium here in the UK in the summer, a massive alternative conference. When you look at news itself, at the relentless pace of news, the way it's presented as, as, as very much as showbiz with music and drama and, you know, headlines and and sensationalism is to get you, you to pique your interest. I do think it's on purpose to keep us in a heightened state of um, uh, sensitivity and desensitivity at the same time. There's a kind of cognitive dissonance going on where on the one hand you think, oh my God, that's awful, but you don't really feel it. You don't really feel what the headline really means because you're not living that experience. And yeah, it's relentless and the information comes in and it goes out and you forget. And then, you know, that's why it's important in news that we do follow up stories or that we keep abreast of stories and we come back to them day after day if they're developing, like the situation in the Middle East, for example, or recently the um, post office scandal here in the UK, which every day had a new line and, and was you know very worthy of reporting um but it is it is a particular peculiarity of of life in the west especially news 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 and you know here at tnt we're doing it in a slightly different way but still i think we have to be careful we're not just pumping out relentless sound bites and information we don't do it as, as badly as the mainstream we really don't there's a lot of analysis there's a lot of debate there's a lot of comment and it's the right kind of comment at this station but it is the way it's presented it does something to the human psyche where you you just forget about these massive world events, as you rightly say. I mean, when you said the Hawaii, I thought, my God, yeah, I haven't thought about that mm. for, for months, mm. for absolutely months. I haven't, I haven't. And, and you know, you, you could argue, well, do you need to be? It's an event around, halfway around the world. But it is, mm. you know, I, I get where you're coming from with this. It's like, wow, did that really happen? Or did I watch it in a movie? That's mm-hmm. the nature of news now, I think. Yeah, it's so, it's so, so fast paced. And the one thing is, you know, we're talking about the post office uh, scandal that's reached a crescendo now, but this has been ongoing for, you know, a decade or more, over a decade. People have been victimized there for over a decade, but now it seems to be the spotlight shining on them. The one group that I think the government more than anything would wish would be dry up and blow away or be swept under the carpet or people, for example, that have been really negatively harmed by lockdowns and by, uh, you know, the injection rollout over the face of the planet over the last uh, three years with the jobs to do with COVID-19. Uh, inquiries are starting to spring up all over the world, Gemma. Countries are launching inquiries over to how they were handled or how they, they handled things. Could they have done things better? It seems to be Scotland's turn now. Uh, COVID inquiry turns the spotlight on Scottish decisions. So uh, this is the UK COVID inquiry sitting in Edinburgh over the next three weeks. So it seems to be uh, their turn now to, to, to say their piece. Uh, what do you think will come out of this? 
Oh, well, that, that that's the, you know, that's the question. What will actually come out of this? You're quite right, Rick. The um, the UK COVID inquiry has moved to Scotland. It's the first time it's moved out of London since it started in 2022. Uh, so far, not a great deal has come out of the UK COVID inquiry, except a lot of infighting and something of a whitewash. And when anybody brings any good points to the table, the chair of the inquiry completely slaps them down, um, you know, and says, no, we're not going to talk about that. You know, when, when it gets really interesting, like, was it a bioweapon? Oh, that's not relevant. Well, I think it bloody is anyway so today it's uh, sitting in edinburgh for the first time it got underway this morning um and for the next three weeks it will mo- focus on all the pandemic decision making in scotland um former first minister nicola sturgeon it, it will take the stand she's one of the key witnesses she's already given evidence in london uh, at the at the uk covid inquiry and the aim of this is to look at all the decision making process across the uk um interestingly 70 government figures just before christmas were asked to submit their whatsapp messages for this stage of the inquiry the Scottish stage. Uh, surprise, surprise, very few WhatsApp messages have been retained in inverted mm. commas, or we just can't find them. And Nicola Sturgeon herself is being very tight-lipped on what's happened to her WhatsApp messages. So there is a theme coming out of here, and that's uh, censorship of information, certainly. Um, so the key witnesses will include her, former health minister, and uh, isn't she the one that had to leave? Who's the one that broke lockdown rules? I can't remember now. Oh, I, was, I, don't, I don't think it was her, but there was one, wasn't there? The train, in Scotland. She got the train to Dublin, or the Dublin. She got the train to London from Glasgow, didn't she? And then she went back again when she was positive, allegedly for uh, COVID nineteen. Yeah, she she kept her job. She didn't get fined for that, did she? I think there was one. I'm not sure it was the former first uh, the health minister, but I remember one of them. They had to, they had yeah. to, I'm sure, step down, and they went to visit a holiday home. Anyway, I'm I'm going off piece here. It's basically, yeah, they all broke the rules at the same time. They were telling us not to break the rules. That's another thing that's come out of this. Um, and the national cl- clinical director, uh, he will also give evidence as well. Um, I find this very interesting, Rick, because last week we talked about the fact that the third phase of the UK COVID inquiry, which was due to begin in the summer, the phase that was going to talk about vaccine rollout, vaccine damage, vaccine injury, and the link to excess deaths and heart heart problems, that's been postponed, um, they say, because of all sorts of other issues. But they've got time to take the COVID inquiry all the way to Scotland with all the cost implications that that has with it, with all the people in hotels and, and traveling up there and staying there for three weeks. And interesting that we just heard Dr. Asim Mahotra on the Freeman report yesterday saying that behind the scenes, you know, former Conservative MPs have acknowledged that Parliament knows there's this link between the vaccines and excess deaths. Um, so surprise, surprise, that part of the COVID inquiry has been postponed, yet they can take it to Scotland and hear about what went on there. Sounds like a distraction technique to me, especially considering that Nicola Sturgeon's now had to step down from her position and amidst extreme controversy. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what comes out of this three-week inquiry. Uh, you know, we've talked about the, the the UK COVID inquiry before and how it's nothing more than a whitewash and a slanging match, but you never know. We might hear some nuggets of of information that confirm what we already know about the whole scandemic and the jabs. Let's see. Because the, the the Edinburgh sittings have pledged to look at the vaccine rollout in uh, in Scotland, which the UK one isn't doing. So maybe we'll hear something about excess deaths in Scotland and we can say, there we go. At least there's some facts there that we know prove what we said was right all along. A uh, couple of things as well in Ireland. Uh, they've had their own or they're proposing their own review, but they won't call it an inquiry. 
they said it would be wrong to call it an inquiry because that would insinuate that somebody had done something wrong. So what the Irish government want to do is they want to say, let's have a review over our practices during, they're so sneaky, Gemma. They're so damn sneaky. We don't want to call it an inquiry. We'll just call it a review. Inquiry sounds very formal. Sounds like there was some wrongdoing going on at the time. And I think today as well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, everybody's Everybody's favourite MP, uh, Andrew Bridgen, I think is bringing a, a debate today in the House of Parliament about excess deaths in the UK. If it's anything like any other debates that have happened in and around these contentious issues, Gemma, the last time I saw a debate in there to do with uh, vaccine injuries, I think there was maybe half a dozen MPs actually weighed into uh, Parliament for that. Could that be the same again? This excess deaths is just something that nobody, well, certainly nobody in power wants to address because, of course, it's going to shine a light on other things. But you can't really keep this buried for much longer, given the scale of these excess deaths. And remember that old slogan, one death is one death too many. We have to move heaven and earth to save just one person from dying from COVID. But now there's thousands of people dying excessively. No one seems to give a damn about them. No, I mean, you're quite right about the the um, trends in excess deaths debate, which happened started at half past nine uh, this morning here in the UK. It's the second one that um, Bridgen has brought to the table at Westminster. The other one was held on Friday, the 20th of October. Now, you, when it comes to debates in Parliament, you don't decide for yourself. You get what you are given. You get the allocation. And surprise, surprise, Parliament gave him a Friday afternoon when most MPs are in their constituencies. Today, I think there are more MPs pledged to go. I think it's about 14 more MPs pledged to go to the debate. I think they're having pressure lent on them by their constituents. I was talking to Sonia Poulton about this uh, at eight o'clock this morning. More and more people are writing to their MPs. They're asking them why they didn't attend the first debate uh, and they want answers. And that's because, Rick, as you and I know, everybody now knows somebody either anecdotally or personally, that either died or had a very adverse reaction to the jab. So you can't hide the elephant in the room anymore. And MPs are responding, I think, to their constituents because, as we know, what's coming up? A general election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, timing is everything in life. You know, timing is everything. And unfortunately, these people get to manipulate timing to suit themselves, as you rightly say, uh, with the, on, we're on the cusp of a general election. We certainly don't want any uh, mass slaughter bombshells perpetually being dropped as a result of uh, government decisions and policies. But with everything else, you know, time ultimately tells all. So we'll be keeping an eye on this one and keeping it under review. So big thanks to you, Gemma. Many, many thanks as always uh, for all the input this morning. You'll be back again on Open Line with us uh, at nine tomorrow morning. And of course, uh, you can stay tuned after me uh, for James Freeman. The Freeman Report, Gemma will also be contributing to that. So big thanks to you. Uh, I will be back after this short break uh, with my first guest of the day, Luke Andreski. We'll do a 100-day review on the conflict in the Middle East. So please stay tuned. Don't go away from more magic here on TNT today's TNT's Pervoy Morich. He details factually how Russia is rolling out the algorithm ghetto. Um, you know, the, the, the multipolar edition of the algorithm ghetto, a prototype of a traffic light that records traffic violations by a pedestrian at a crossing was tested in Moscow. So Russians now they'll they'll have a the government will take a snapshot of their face and run that through the databases to figure out who is who and then find them, uh, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, he, he points out that there are a lot of developments now. Moscow 2030, it's, it's uh, they want to make uh, Moscow achieve smart city status. 
Uh, and there's just, you know, you, you look at the white papers, Moscow and Russia are all in on Agenda 2030, smart cities, algorithm ghetto, digital IDs. For Voye Morich on today's News Talk TNT. Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong. Some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yep, TNT, today's News Talk. We are live. It is Tuesday, the 16th of January, 2024. And I'm very happy to be joined this morning by Luke Andreski. He is the co-founder of Ethical Renewal and EthicalIntelligence.org. He's an author and he's also a human rights campaigner. And Luke, with all, uh, I do believe we're going to try and do a little review here at the minute uh, of the first 100 days of the, the the hostilities that have been ongoing in the Middle East, specifically in Gaza. But there's so much else has been going on that's been heaped in on top of that. We were talking earlier on, it's kind of hard to keep track of all the developments in the Middle East. Everything seems to be changing by the day. Uh, it's deeply worrying that other nations are becoming involved in this conflict um, and that uh, the UK and the, the United States and many Western allies appear very happy to see this escalate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They do. I mean, even just this week alone, uh, and we will get into a review of what, what everything has been developing over the last uh, 100 days in Gaza in particular. But this week alone, we've seen uh, US and UK uh, strikes on uh, Yemen. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, shipping disruptions in the Red Sea. And even uh, over the last 24 hours, we've seen an attack on a on an alleged spy base in Iraq by the Iranians. Uh, it, it seems to be hotting up the there doesn't seem to be any sign of uh, let up in that particular area, does there? It's hugely dangerous and hugely worrying. Um, it's a very difficult thing for people in the West like yourself and myself to say, um, we support Yemen, um, uh-huh. you know, un- uncategorically, because um, they, they are a, a difficult state. They're a nation that have gone through a terrible, uh, protracted civil war. They've undergone um, an awful um, near genocide from Saudi Arabia using bombs built by the British and the Americans. Um, but they are also um, doing something which many normal people would say, hey, I, I don't like this, so, you know, attacking civilian shipping. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to say, Yes, the um, the Houthis are um, doing a purely good action, uh, 
But the question you have to look at why they're doing it and, and the purpose and the type of shipping that they are stopping. So they're trying to stop uh, supplies getting through to Israel, which is to, which Israel needs in order to continue their um, appalling attack on Gaza. So their motives in this particular instance are ones that we have to agree with, even if we disagree with some cultural aspects or some um, social aspects of the Houthi regime, it nevertheless does not, doesn't change the fact that we have to agree with anything that um, helps to put pressure on Israel to stop their appalling actions in Gaza. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a widespread condemnation of Israel's actions uh, within Gaza. Uh, recently there, we covered some uh, stories. We got some statistics on it. There's roughly uh, 2.3 million people living in that area. About 85% of them have been displaced. The death toll is in the tens of thousands, roughly around about uh, 30,000 people killed, around about 10,000 of that estimated to be children. Uh, how can someone sit back and say, okay, Everyone has a right to defend themselves. That's what we're being uh, heard rolled out by Netanyahu. Israel has a right to defend itself. Of course, every country has a right to defend itself from hostile attack. However, uh, it's like me. I live in uh, Northern Ireland, and as you're probably aware, from 1969 until 1994, we had the troubles over here. Uh, there were a lot of British soldiers killed, for example, by the IRA. That would be akin to the British government saying, well, we're going to bomb Belfast. We're going to indiscriminately bomb Belfast because we have a right to defend ourselves. Yeah, you might take out a terrorist or two in your carpet bombing, but what about the what about the collateral damage? What about tens of thousands of innocent lives that are being killed? Where's the justification for that? Oh, it's a, it's an absolute logical and moral nonsense to talk about self-defense in this issue. You know, the the um, the Israeli government and the IDF, their um, their armed forces, lost the moral argument on the day on day one on October the eighth. When they went in and they killed civilians, you know, you don't kill a civilian to, in self-defense. You don't kill a child in self-defense. You know, if 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 there was a um, a uh, serial killer running rampant in your local school, um, uh, and you wouldn't start shooting the children in self-defense. So, I mean, it's, it's just it's just moral nonsense, and, and I'm amazed that people still trot out that line. You find that the narrative, uh, not the narrative, but the support is waning in that respect. We saw a lot of people, uh, Blinken, uh, David Cameron, uh, even Piers Morgan in the in the UK. He seems to have uh, backpedaled a little bit in his support for Israel's actions as the horror of this is becoming more and more apparent and is becoming more and more uh, widely reported now, even in the mainstream media. You find that there's a little bit of a wavering going on in the support there? I think there is wavering. I think it's feeble and um, far too late in the day. Um, and also, uh, you know, words words mean nothing. Um, what we've got to do, start doing is we've got to start um, um, sanctioning Israel. I mean, if you if you look, if you look at how Russia was treated, you know, the media onslaught against Putin and the Russians, the um, the sanctions, uh, the provision of weapons and funds to Ukraine. I was just looking at this. Um, so, Mad, Dr. Mads Gilbert, um, the wonderful Norwegian doctor, who I th who was interviewed um, recently uh, by Democracy Now, um, put out on Twitter a small fact sheet. The, it was the um, UN uh, 100 days fact sheet of where we've got to. Um, and I was looking at those figures and, um, and I was comparing them with Ukraine. And, the, and what struck me immediately was that 
the number of child deaths in, in Gaza is something like 100 a day. It's an appalling uh, criminal figure. Uh, the number of child deaths in the Ukraine war is something like one a day. So the um, Israel is, is performing an act 100 times more deadly for children every single day in its attack on Gaza. And yet um, the West does little, you know, a few little backpedaling on you know, the right to self-defense, a little backpedaling on the unmitigated support, um, cat uh, categorical support for Israel. That's what about pelleting is not enough. We need to be saying you've got to stop now. There must be an immediate and permanent ceasefire. And actually, there must be further, more than that. They need to begin to dismantle the apparatus of the apartheid state. Mm -hmm. uh, again, uh, just uh, what you said there is bang on. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap and actions speak a whole hell of a lot louder than words. Whilst we're seeing this, uh, you know, apparent thawing in support towards uh, what Israel is carrying out, is it just sound bites? Do you think, uh, are we really going to see any big pushes towards ceasefires or dismantling of the uh, apartheid apparatus, if you described it? Or will we stick with uh, just uh, nice sounding, well-crafted sound bites from the like of uh, Blinken and the like of David Cameron? Well, at the moment, it's not looking very promising, is it? Um, they're still they're still allowing um, Cyprus to be used as an airbase for supplying Israel. Um, we're still doing all those things. Uh, um, Biden just pushed through that huge uh, extra sum of money for supporting Israel um, military aid. Um, everything's being done in terms of action. The support continues in is in no way changed. So uh, a few words here or there to try and pacify potential future voters, um, because generally the um, the attack on Gaza and the attack on Palestinians by Israel is unpopular across the world. You know, with the exception of perhaps the United States, where the um, pro-Israeli propaganda is is has been has proved incredibly successful without exception across the world um people are beginning to condemn israel but uh the governments of the west are ignoring that they're continuing in every way to support this regime and then and it looks as if they're not doing anything at all to bring this to an end uh, my feeling is that perhaps there might be some withdrawal of support from Israel if Biden's position uh, at the next election become, is put in jeopardy by his support. Mm. Uh, we've got to take a, a real brief pause, uh, look for some news headlines. When we come back, I want to look at some of the other uh, fallout to the hostilities that have been happening there in terms of you know destruction of infrastructure, uh, mass displacements of people, food shortages and one thing and another. So uh, we'll turn our attention to that when we come back after this short pause here on TNT Today's News. Now, big, big news, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Tensions are threatening to explode in the Middle East as the Houthis turn their missiles on American-owned cargo ships in the Red Sea. Two former British politicians have reportedly acknowledged a link between the mRNA COVID vaccines and excess deaths in the UK. And China's calling for a large-scale international peace conference to discuss the establishment of a Palestinian state free of Israeli occupation. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
Okay, welcome back. Uh, very action-packed show here today, this morning. Just having a little look in the live chat during that very, very brief pause there. A lot of uh, people uh, leaving a lot of comments, thoughts, and opinions in this particular matter. One in particular I'm going to have to address here, Jock, my old long-term sparring partner, Jock Hare from up in Scotland, says, how many times must I correct Rick on the point Israel has the right to defend itself? They don't, he says, so stop saying it. Number one, you don't correct me on anything. Number to you i can say whatever the hell i like and number three if you don't like it sling your bloody hook israel has a right to defend itself but israel is not defending itself israel is perpetuating acts of genocide in gaza at this point in time so do not correct me get your neck wound in please and i say that with love and all due respect to jock anyway sorry about that little outbreak there look uh he's not, he's not completely wrong because he's atta attacking the narrative of you know self-defense and then there's the other yeah. narrative isn't there the um the uh but you see the point i'm trying to make here if i come up to you today and i attack you you know you have the right to defend yourself yeah. but if you bypass me and start to kill my wife and children well then that's not an act of self-defense that's an act of uh on, you know that's the point that i'm trying to make here yeah. it's like freedom of speech look freedom of speech means people get to say what they want to say unrestricted yeah. okay that includes our opponents that includes people we don't agree with that includes things yeah. being said that we don't actually like that is the whole purpose of what we're actually yeah. doing here and i think that's why it's good to get all points of view i totally agree it's, it's like the narrative about condemnation so do you condemn that hamas you know that repeated again and again and again and in fact of course of course everybody does you know the moral position is that any single human life is sacred you know any killing of life is bad taking of hostages is bad but that's not the narrative we want to focus on. The narrative we want to focus on is, is I condemn them. So what should the moral response be? And the moral, moral response shouldn't be killing civilians and children. Exactly, exactly. And that's the whole point. And the person who made the comment said he's gone off the show now. He thinks I'm arrogant and a prick and he's throwing <laughs> his toys out of the pram and going, listen, that's your problem, mate. That's not my problem. But you're welcome back anytime because I'm big enough to forgive and forget and love everybody i'm trying to lead by example but there you go that's the point that i'm trying to make listen nobody's going to agree with everybody over every point but we'll have to be able to voice our opinions and accept that not everybody's going to say what we like and do what we like and act how we like that's just part and parcel of what we're at now I want to look at the reality of life on the ground in Gaza at the minute because uh, the, the headlines are to do with bombings, uh, to do with loss of life, which is terrible and tragic and horrific. It doesn't stop there, though, uh, look, because a lot of people are displaced. There's millions of people being displaced at this point in time in Gaza with no real place to go. Uh, food supplies are running low. Uh, water supplies are running low. Uh, medications are running low. Hospital access is terrible at the minute. What is life actually like on the ground if you are a citizen and survive the uh, bombings and survive the attacks? How does that feel? What must that be like actually being a resident of Gaza at this time? It must be hell, mustn't it? I mean, can you imagine life in that scenario? You know, uh, when, when I think about it in the evenings, it brings tears to my eyes, literally, because 
put yourself in that position, you know, the sound of bombs all around you, um, the, the knowing that you, your children, your family could be dying any moment because of some um, uh, missile, which, which is not guided, it's not specifically targeting a Hamas operative. It's just randomly killing people in Gaza. To not know what your what your next meal is going to be, to to have that incredible insecurity, to not know what your future is at all, to not know whether you're all going to die from starvation, from cold, from disease. To be, I mean, this is like dystopia. It is very uh, most vile imagining. You know, science fiction writers would be thinking, no, I couldn't write that. I couldn't write that. It's too bad. It's too unrealistic. This is this is this is uh, this is genocide. You know, it's, it's appalling. There's, for people to argue and quibble over the meaning of genocide, the word, it's an appalling human crime. It's, it's an immoral obscenity. It's a moral obscenity. And, um, you know, to live in that, that place at this at that time, yeah, I'm, I'm lost for words. Yeah, and the thing is, too, uh, a lot of other people are, are using uh, the genocide word. Uh, the, the inquiry that's going on at the minute, you know, South Africa are making a lot of noise about this as well. And an Irish uh, contributor to the court said, for the first time possibly in history, uh, we're actually seeing genocide televised in real time as it's actually happening in, uh, in Palestine at this point in time. Do you think we'll ever see the full extent of this or will there always be a blanket laid over the top of this uh, to shield the world from the, the true horrors of what's going on and what a lot of governments have actually sanctioned happening? I think most of our mainstream media are appallingly supine to the, um, the the desire of the establishment and the um, the governments of the day. So I don't think that in the West uh, we will see the proper coverage that's deserved. I think in other countries um, there will be. I think it will all be shown, it will all be analysed, and it will be there on the internet what has really happened there. So I don't think that's the, that's the good thing about the internet and the good thing about the modern age. It's very difficult to cover up a huge crime of this proportion. So it will be seen. Uh, people like us who, who want to think about the world and question the, the mainstream narrative will um, know what's happened. And even just looking at the UN statistics that we have on the, uh, before us, we know the appalling nature of what's going on. It's a hell on earth and it's being inflicted and it's being inflicted by an Israeli government that uh, shows no, um, it's showing complete impunity and, and has the complete support of the United States and the UK. With this, uh, with this inquiry that's going on or this uh, international move that's been going on, will it be a little bit like the COVID inquiries? Do you think uh, there's been a lot of noise being made about them? They're getting together to try and come to the bottom of what's happening with what South Africa is doing, uh, the accusations that they're making of genocide against Israel. We've got a court together. We've got people from all over the world representing it. Will we see a positive outcome from that? Just very briefly, Luke, do you think, or will it be like another COVID type inquiry where they, they nod and they they make noises and they, you know, they pledge to try and make sure stuff doesn't happen again, but in reality, nothing actually gets done? I think it's much more important than the COVID inquiry, even though, even important as that is. Um, because um, I think it will, it, I think it has an impact and it will have a worldwide effect. So if the court finds against Israel, then that is a huge statement against the, the narrative that, that most Western governments are putting forward. And they can't, they won't be able to hide that. You know, it will be there, it will be there in the consciousness of their, of their um, citizens. Um, I think it will be a, an absolutely wonderful statement if, if Israel is found um, guilty of genocide. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think with everything else, look like everything else, time will ultimately tell that, and let's see uh, what the outcome of that inquiry holds uh, as we roll on into 2024. We've got to take a, a brief pause now. Uh, I have to uh, I'll release you back to your duties, whatever it was that you were doing before you came on here, and just say a massive thanks to you, Mr. Luke Andreski. He's an author, a human rights campaigner, and check out his work at ethicalintelligence.org. Oh, thank you very much for your input, my friend. It was much appreciated, and hopefully we'll see you again sooner rather than later. Uh, I'm Rick Munn. This is Locked and Loaded, and we'll be right back after this short ad break with Dr. Philip Altman from Sydney in Australia. So please don't go away. Plenty more to come here on TNT, today's news talk. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, Hanoi Jane is at it again. My buddy, Mark Morano, mailed me this because he knows that I try to keep my blood pressure low. And he believes I need a little extra stress in my life, so he mails me stuff like this, and naturally I share it with you. These are some quotes from an article that Jane Fonda is involved in about the planet can't have healthy people if it's sick. So now the planet is actually some kind of breathing organism, I guess. Bad enough they try to make it a god. But at least I thought, well, it's probably one of those gods, you know, false idols you make out of gold or silver or whatever. But no, 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 no. It's a living, breathing system. So anyway, our healthcare system is responsible for 9% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions because the system's reliance on fossil fuels to run its facilities and equipment. Now, let's break this down. Men, human beings, have put in 5% of the total amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere atmosphere, which is 0.042%. And so the healthcare system's responsible for 9% of 5% times 0.042%. So what we've got to do is shut down the healthcare system because of that 9%. And that's only the United States. And then everything will be fine. Climate smart healthcare is preventive medicine on a grand scale. Think about it. We can't have healthy people on a sick planet. You know something? If you want to look at sickness and define sickness, you just heard some quotes from it. This is TNT Club. This is unbelievable. TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. My character, Shazam, knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. In a secret lab, somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, the perfect human specimen has been born. He has the strength of 10 men and the wisdom of 20. Rick Munn. Now you listen here. He's a brilliant naughty boy. TNT Radio. Okay, uh, if you're still here with us this morning, because it's been a lively one, uh, you're very welcome to listen to the conversation that I'm about to have with my old sparring partner, my old partner in crime, Dr. Philip Altman. Philip is an authority on clinical trials and regulatory affairs. He has over 40 years experience 
ex-big pharma guy working on gaining new drug approvals in Australia. He and I have been talking now for the best part of two years, coming up to two years now, yeah. uh, on various things, various issues here on TNT. So welcome back, Philip, and a belated Happy New Year to you. And how's life been treating you in beautiful Sydney, Australia? Thank you very much, Rick, for having me back. Um, things are bubbling along here. There's a, there's a lot happening. Uh, and Happy New Year to you too, Rick. You're very, very welcome. Uh, we've talked about a lot of issues, uh, Philip. Some of them we've seen crystallizing, you know, things that we speculated on have now been proven to be true. Uh, one of which in particular that you've been very, very heavily involved in is sounding the alarm for these jobs that have been ruled out across the world, especially in Australia, when you consider they were mandated for very, very many people that couldn't work, they couldn't function in society unless they rolled up their sleeves and took one, not two, sometimes three jobs before they would get their little COVID passes to be able to work. Uh, a lot of fallout happening now, excess deaths are through the roof, question marks are hanging over big pharma products like Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, AstraZeneca in the UK. It seems to be uh, the bubble is bursting somehow with this now, and it is starting to make it into more mainstream outlets rather than just being so-called fringe reporting on alternate media like ourselves. Uh, what do you make of this? Uh, will we see uh, justice served? I know you're actively involved in this. There's a push for a royal commission uh, in Australia headed up by the like of Malcolm Roberts and Jared Rennick and, and very many other people that have been active. Uh, what's the state of play at the minute in Australia, Philip? Well, I think the Australian government is going to resist with all its might a royal commission. Um, uh, they don't want to do that. They've set up an inquiry uh, to sort of sweep things under the carpet. Um, I think both sides of, uh, of politics are happy with that situation because they, they both share blame in what's been done in terms of the policies and uh, what what actually happened during COVID. And uh, they, they really can't afford to have a Royal Commission where everything will be exposed. So they will control the narrative. Most people do understand that um, uh, the inquiry that they have announced will be a whitewash. Um, and for those people who who know what's going on, and that's that's a that's a growing segment of the population now. Um, a lot of people have twigged what's what's going on. You only have to look at um, the failure of uh, booster uptake now, which it which is pretty low in Australia. It's it's, it's pretty low in the states too, and then you have to look at the. Uh, share price of Pfizer and Moderna. They, they've really tanked and they've, they've come back down uh, to, a, to a level that they were pre-COVID in the case of uh, Pfizer. Uh, interesting. Uh, it's always a reflection. The share price is always a good reflection of what sentiment is towards any company at any time. And for a long time, those uh, big pharma shares were spiking up through the roof. They were making a clean fortune. Anybody that had invested in Pfizer or Moderna or uh, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca over what the last three years would have done very, very well. However, uh, they're tanking at the minute now. That surely must be some kind of uh, reflection on what sentiment is because the financiers don't get it wrong. The big money people in the city can see writing on the wall. So when you start to see those sharp prices tanking, you know something's brewing behind the scenes, don't you? 
Yeah, it's uh, usually the people who have skin in the game, who have money on the table, um, know what's happening first. And uh, the, the people aren't far behind. But there is an awakening. Um, there really is. You're, you're seeing a change in the narratives uh, week by week. I notice now, for example, um, people are referring to ivermectin as an antiviral, right? Um, they weren't doing that uh, so readily in the past. They are doing it now. Uh, the restrictions on ivermectin uh, prescribing have been lifted. Um, so, so things are changing, but still, still, there's vaccine effectively, uh, vaccine mandates in place now, and people still can't get back to work because of these mandates, despite the fact that uh, these mandates are anti-science. There's nothing, there's nothing in science, nothing in COVID science that really supports these mandates. Uh, but yet, but yet, many, many people still haven't been reinstated back into their jobs for not having them. One guest I have on here regularly, uh, Stephen Kelly, he was in the New South Wales Police for the best part of 30 years. He refused uh, to get jabbed and th therefore he had to lose his job. Uh, and there's a lot of workers, um, uh, Philip, across the world who uh, care home workers, for example, in the UK in particular, there was tens of thousands of people lost their jobs in November 2022, I think it was, because they missed the deadline for taking the jobs that were trying to implement it to the NHS, but they would have lost over 100,000 workers potentially if that yeah. had been the case. Uh, so they had to stop it at that, but there has been no recompense for people that have been financially devastated no. as a result of not giving up bodily autonomy. No, no, that's exactly right. I know, I know Stephen, um, mm -hmm. and I know many people in, in his position. And it's really interesting um, to listen to uh, the mainstream uh, news media, which I don't like to do, but I have to keep up with what they're saying, um, complaining about the um, uh, lack of uh, qualified staff for ambulance people, uh, nurses in hospitals and so forth, and, uh, and uh, people in the armed forces. Well, they... They forced all those people out with, with the mandates. And what the news doesn't mention is that these people are still locked out. It's uh, it, the firefighters are still locked out. It's uh, just absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the thing is, too, Philip, uh, these are people we're talking about that uh, still haven't been reinstated back into jobs. But there's another category of people that have been severely adversely reflected, those people that have had injuries as a result of these jabs or lost a family member or a loved one because of it. There's a fight on now for compensation. And in the UK, uh, the, the compensation amount is capped at around about 120,000 pounds, which is about what a quarter of a million Aussie dollars. That doesn't go very far when you extrapolate that out over the working life of, for example, a young mo a mother or a young father that has died and their, their loss of income over the course of time. That's assuming you actually get the full amount. A lot of people aren't even getting anything because they don't meet the criteria for disabilities. What's the compensation layout in uh, Australia at this point in time and how easy is it for victims of these uh, pharmaceutical attacks to get compensated for what has happened to them or a uh, loss? of income or a loss of a loved one? 
There is a compensation scheme which the uh, government has, but uh, uh, as far as I am aware, very few people have qualified uh, for this for this scheme. The government keeps a very tight rein on this scheme, and and they decide they decide whether or not a vaccine has caused the injury. It's the same old problem that we're facing with the adverse drug reaction reporting. The government is telling us through their adverse drug reaction reporting scheme here that not a single child has died as a result of a COVID-19 vaccine. They're only saying that 14 people have died as a result of, of, of adults have uh, died as a result of the vaccines. Now, we, we know that that's not true. Um, there's been a thousand reported deaths, and we know the underreporting factor is uh, somewhere between 40 or 50 and 100. So you can multiply those figures by 40 or 50 or 100. And we also know uh, from excess deaths that are continuing right now, despite the fact that the uh, uh, strain of COVID that's circulating now is much less virulent. Australia is looking at a minimum, an absolute minimum of 10,000 people dying per year, unexplained non-COVID deaths, and the government refuses to even investigate it. They know it's going on, they can explain it, but they will not investigate it. This, this gives you uh, some, uh, some window in, into the thinking of the government. So it's not going to be easy for anyone to actually uh, uh, get compensation, even if they put a claim in. Uh, the other thing is too, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong about this one, but there was a stipulation, I think, with the Australian compensation scheme that unless you spent an overnight stay in hospital, for example, if you went to the accident and emergency department or the ER room with chest pains and they looked you over and thought, well, look, it's not good, Philip, but come back in the morning and we'll reassess you again. There had to be some stipulation, I think, at one point that unless you spent an overnight stay in the hospital at the time that you weren't going to get any kind of claim. Was that right or am I just a no, I've uh, heard that too. And, and it, it doesn't surprise me because uh, uh, the government uh, will be trying to put all the roadblocks uh, in the way of anyone claiming compensation. Uh, because uh, if you just look at the numbers of people who potentially could claim compensation, it could send the government broke. And they know it. So uh, they have to put up these... Uh, barriers and barriers they are you know some would say they're not even barriers they're digging trenches they're filling them with water putting crocodiles in the water yeah. putting barbed yeah. wire on top of the barriers and sentry turrets with armed yeah. men to make sure that this uh that that does not that line does not get trust Cross because it could be absolutely devastating for the government, not just in terms of reputation, but in terms of maybe criminal proceedings and, of course, uh, national bankruptcy. Uh, moving on, uh, we've got about five minutes left here. There's talk. The word on the street is that there's going to be a new uh, extravaganda on the old pandemic front, this so-called disease X uh, yeah. is looming in the background. Uh, Bill Gates famously said about a year or two ago, he said, listen, 
He said uh, coronavirus was just a warm up. He says when the next one comes along, he said people will take up and notice this one. It won't be just a case of asymptomatic transmission and a runny nose. And then he had this evil smirk on his face. Uh, what do you make of this talk about disease X and what could we potentially expect to see from that if it manifests itself on the world stage? Yeah, well, I, I do know that the World Economic Forum is uh, talking about this and other people are talking about this. I I was of the opinion um, some some weeks back that uh, too many people uh, now have twigged to uh, the power play that went on with COVID to fall for it a second time. Um, and uh, they wouldn't be so easily fooled uh, with pandemic 2.0. Um, however, I wouldn't put it past them. Um, it could be a virus that is much more pathogenic, more virulent. Um, who knows? But this next crisis, and there will be another crisis, in my opinion, in order to effectively gain more control. That It, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a pandemic in the viral sense. It could be a pandemic in the cyber sense. And, and people were talking about this as well. So in parallel to this, people are getting prepared and governments are getting prepared to introduce controls. For example, the uh, WHO uh, pandemic treaty to uh, uh, force people in countries to uh, to abide by the dictates of the WHO, unelected individuals in the WHO would be directing health policy in various countries like Australia and elsewhere, which is an appalling thought. Um, or um, putting in place uh, disinformation, misinformation laws, so that uh, once the crisis has commenced that a discussion like you and I are having now wouldn't be possible, right? Because it would be considered to be disinformation. Um, so you can see all the hallmarks. All the hallmarks are actually there right now. Now, whether it takes the form of a new virus and an infection or a cyber pandemic, who knows? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing too, I, I think we did do a lot of damage to the government narratives, not by uh, spreading mis and disinformation, but by simply telling the truth, Philip, which is what you've done since you came on the show and what I've tried to do to the best of my ability since I started with uh, TNT two years ago. And I think they realize the damage that the truth causes when it gets out to many, many people. So whenever this uh, next one does hit, not a case of if it hits, but when it hits, they want to make sure your voice most likely and most likely the collective voice for TNT, whether that be the presenters here or the people that contribute to our live chat or the people listening in, they don't want the truth to be spread and to be told uh, throughout the course of the next year or two, whenever they unleash whatever hell it is that they actually have up their sleeve. We've only got a couple of minutes left, Philip, uh, in case I forget to do it at the end of the show. Uh, if you don't already follow Philip on Substack, please do so. Check him out at Philip, P-H-I-L-L-I-P, Altman, Philip Altman, dot 
substack.com. He's got a fantastic newsletter there. He updates it probably a couple or three times a week. He's very, very prolific in his writing on there, and he's telling it how it is with the benefit of hindsight with his uh, career in big pharma. And the one thing I like about you, uh, you always describe yourself as an ex big pharma guy you're no longer part of that network but hey listen uh, it is what it is and who better qualified to talk about the ins and outs of how those companies work than you because you spent the best part of uh, 40 years uh, working for them and I always joke with you Philip that you know uh, if this thing hadn't came along you'd probably be out in a garden somewhere or on a cruise in the Middle East if you're not getting bombed by NATO that is uh, <laughs> but no here you are feverishly talking to me and uh, writing beautiful pieces on uh, your Substack articles. So uh, we're pretty much up to time in this one, Philip. Massive, massive thank you to you again, as always, for giving us a good overview on the state of play over in Australia at the minute, because it's very important to know what's happening uh, in different pockets of the world. So uh, with, on that note, uh, big thanks to you and whatever you're doing for the rest of the night. I hope you have a great one, and hopefully we'll talk again sooner rather than later. What do you say? Thank you very much, Rick. Take Pleasure. Care. So check check out Philip's uh, Substack, philipaltman.substack.com. I'm Rick Munn. I'll be back again tomorrow morning, bright and early. Yes, bright and early at 9 a.m. Uh, with Open Line, Natalie Chill, and then Locked and Loaded. Stay tuned for James Freeman on the Freeman Report. This is TNT, today's news talk. Have a great day. <laughs>